If you're like me, you're an announcer. That means you get paid way too much money for just a few seconds of coming up next. It's Blossom, followed by an all-new Caroline in the City. You stay out all night partying, wake up late with a vodka hangover, stumble out of bed, throw on some overpriced clothes, get in your little sports car and flip people off while you're driving. You get to where you're going 30 minutes to an hour late. Then you grab the script, do one take, and tell the twerpy little producer that if he wants better, he can hire James Earl Jones. Because you've been doing this since before he was even born. Then you speed out of the studio, schmooze a few ladies with, Hello ladies, you look lovely today. Why, yes, I am an announcer. And it's all because a couple of friends once said to you, Hey, you've got a great voice. You should be on the radio or announcing TV commercials or something. So, you think you're God and you know you've got his voice. So, what the hell? Brought to you by the National Broadcasters Association. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. Hey listeners, this is Dave from House of Cards, and we'd like to congratulate Beth Gaines from Los Angeles, California, as the winner of our Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure Giveaway. Beth has won, courtesy of Poker Stars and House of Cards, three nights at the Atlantis Resort and Casino in the Bahamas, $1,000 in cash, a $250 gift certificate for the spa at the Atlantis Resort, and free entry into both the ladies' event at the 2010 Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure and the Poker Stars Boot Camp being held at the Atlantis. Congratulations, Beth, from all of us at House of Cards. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over king. Ladies and gentlemen... Boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Good evening, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And boy, have we got a great show tonight. We have... uh, really the hottest hand in poker, at least poker writing. And that's Jim McManus, James McManus, author of a new book, Cowboys Full, which is the story of poker in the United States. And he even starts before the United States and talks about gambling and how poker came to be. And then an incredibly sequential group of stories about poker, about American politics, all bound up together in a wonderfully cohesive book that uh, I think you will love hearing him talk about. He's also a very accomplished poker player, having moneyed in four tournaments, uh, the most famous of which was a fifth-place finish at the World Series of Poker main event. Um, He's going to be our guest for the entire show. Please stay tuned after the break and listen to me and Jim talk about poker. Great moments in history. In 481 BC, the defeat of the Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. As long as Xerxes doesn't find the secret path to the hot gates, where is it, boy? Xerxes has found the secret door path to the hot gates. Ah, shit! In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. Hey there, folks. Aaron Sherman here, CEO of Phantom EFX. We make the number one slot and casino games for your PC. Number one. Now, how great would it be to hit the tables or slots this weekend in Las Vegas? Can't afford it? Or even if you can, you've got to try our games. Now, I know you may be thinking, ooh, a slot game or ooh, a casino game. How real can it be? But you have no idea how real the experience is until you play these games. Whether you want slots, cards, or casino games, we've got it all. And trust me, it's as real as it gets. That's why we're number one, baby. You just have to check out our new newest games led by Real Deal Slots, Blackbeard's Revenge. 
telling you guys, this game is the ultimate slot experience. It's already number one in its category, and it's been made by guys that love slot machines. We also have our brand new casino and card game titles. You can check them out in stores or at phantomefx.com. You never have to wager anything on a Phantom EFX game. you got to check out all these great games and all of our other great products at phantomefx.com. Ooh, another jackpot. I got another jackpot. Woohoo! Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. Hey listeners, this is Dave from House of Cards, and we'd like to congratulate Beth Gaines from Los Angeles, California, as the winner of our Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure Giveaway. Beth has won, courtesy of Poker Stars and House of Cards, three nights at the Atlantis Resort and Casino in the Bahamas, $1,000 in cash, a $250 gift certificate for the spa at the Atlantis Resort, and free entry into both the ladies' event at the 2010 Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure and the Poker Stars Boot Camp being held at the Atlantis. Congratulations, Beth, from all of us at House of Cards. You're listening to the House of Cards. I think we got a show. Oh, yeah, we got a show. We definitely got a show. Oh, yeah, there's a show. Hey, it's all about ratings, baby, and we got them. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards Radio, and as promised... We have, I've, I think, probably the greatest, in my book, one of the greatest poker superstars uh, on many levels. A writer of immense talent, having authored the critically acclaimed and popular bestseller, Positively Fifth Street. He's also an accomplished tournament poker player, having finished fifth in the main event of the World Series of Poker. He's written now his 10th book, Cowboys Full, which is a fascinating history that I have practically stayed up for three days straight to finish in time for this interview. It is a history of poker interweaved with an American history of sorts, with all sorts of interesting tales of poker and life and politics mixed in. And he's here with us now, James McManus. James, are you there? I'm here, Ashley. Call me Jim, please. Jim. Okay, I shall. I shall call you Jim. And uh, we're going to have somewhat of a freewheeling discussion, but why don't you start by telling us and our listeners what prompted you, Jim, to write this book? Well, when I was uh, sent by Harper's Magazine to cover the 2000 World Series, I managed to win a satellite, enter the tournament, and I almost won the event. I got very lucky. And by finishing fifth uh, and covering the murder trial of Ted Binion, the, uh, <clears throat> my account of my action uh, was also going to include, did include, uh, some background on the game that we were playing. And as I was researching the history of poker, I was pretty surprised to discover that there, were no, there was no single volume uh, history. And my publisher and my editor and my agent and I, around 2003, decided that I might be a good person to uh, write the first single-volume history of the game, and that's sort of what's happened. Well, I think you've accomplished it. Uh, What's interesting to me is the regular parallels between the real world, so to speak, the political world of the United States... And the game of poker. Um, and I'm curious to see if you believe that we really have less, that politicians really have lessons to learn from the felt. Oh, well, there's no question about that. Uh, there's <clears throat> president, the presidents who have played uh, fall into two categories. Uh, the largest category, including the, the current president, FDR, Truman, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt played the game to relax with their friends, to uh, form political alliances, 
and and generally uh, enjoyed low stakes poker uh, as a hobby. Right. And then two of the, two of the presidents, both of whom shared the 1952 Republican ticket, Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon, were serious poker players who, at several stages of their life, had played for high stakes uh, money that meant a lot to that changed the way they they lived. Uh, and and then all of the presidents have enjoyed uh, have taken advantage of poker logic and psychology and mathematics in order to figure out what diplom- diplomatic or military strategies made the most sense, especially during the Cold War when we and our opponents uh, have nuclear arsenals. Well, I think that's that's very true. I, I do wonder, though, I, I've read the story of Nixon funding his first congressional race with his poker winnings from the Navy. I've read that it's become legend. And here's something that I, I'd have to wonder about, though. I know that when I am asked, you know, the Boston Globe called me up and they asked me to comment on uh, the poker prowess of a union leader who just had become president of her local union. And um, they asked me, well, what's she like as a poker player? And I did what I think pretty much any self-respecting person would do when asked about the poker prowess of somebody they know and they're friendly with. You... You sell it. You say, oh, what a great poker player. You know, she really can bluff. Uh, Even if, in fact, I have no idea what she's like as a poker player. I've played with her a few times. I'm going to credit her with being a good poker player for the same way that, for the same reason that I would credit somebody with, uh, if I was the the lover of somebody, I'm going to say they were a great lover. Mm -hmm. But that's because I don't want to blemish their reputation by saying they are bad at either of those things. And I'm wondering... All the sources that you cited and that other people have cited about Nixon's prowess were people that were spoken to after he became a nationally prominent figure. Well, I, uh, here's why I think that uh, your concern uh, could, it, could he have been could it have been a myth? Uh, almost certainly not. Really? Uh, okay. For a number of reasons. Uh, we have Nixon's testimony. We have. Well, the, we know what uh, that's worth, Jim. Uh, I don't think that because uh, Nixon lied in a few high-charged polit- uh, political situations that he was he was not telling the truth his whole life. In fact, he did. He went to considerable lengths, both he and Eisenhower in the fifties, to cover up how much poker they had played. That there was so much because there was so much stigma attached to the game uh, during those years, as as, it, as there still is today that he had every reason to downplay or misrepresent how much poker he played. Uh, we, we also have uh, the testimony of several of his uh, uh, Navy cohorts who played in those games. And most importantly, the account that I draw most heavily from is from Gary Wills' book, Nick, Nixon Agonistes, yes. in which, in which uh, Wills takes a decidedly unfriendly uh, posture toward Nixon and uses poker, uh, <clears throat> Nixon's poker playing as a uh, uh, as a kind of kaleidoscope col- into the bowels <laughs> of a of a uh, of a politician that he feels very little sympathy for. Yes. And the bottom line is that Nixon was a uh, a struggling. He, he was born poor, and he was uh, he he had no other means of. Uh, generating income in the Navy, uh, besides poker, you know, his salary was very minimal. And to, to take home $8,000 uh, in 1945 dollars, was that, that was a whopping amount of money to have, and he couldn't have raised it any other way. So I, I do think that there are several strong reasons to, to believe the accounts that he okay. won that much. I won't, I won't belabor the point. I'll just say that I can't tell you how many people I have met who now say they paid their way through college with their uh-huh. poker winnings, yeah. or they describe themselves as winning poker players, and of all the activities there are, you know, not counting tournament poker where there is actually a record, of all the kind of sporting activity there is, 
poker is one of those things that you never know if somebody right. is really a winner or a loser. He, you know, somebody right. could walk away from the poker table with $4,000 in green chips, but maybe they bought in over the last six hours for $10,000, and they're an overall loser, but they may be promoting themselves as a winner. So I just, all these stories, and, and I read Nixon Agonistes when it, when it came out, and I remember reading about that and believing it, and I, I take it on faith from you that if you believe it, Okay, I believe the story, but it's so easy to lie about your poker winnings. Yeah, but there was uh, the, what you say. Your point is is very well taken. At the same time, there's so many contemporary witnesses to Nixon's action in the in the Pacific testified that he was an extremely good player and that he won a lot of money, and he also arrives home with enough to fund a successful run for Congress, and that was. That was long coin back in 1946. Maybe he had, well, maybe he had somebody who gave him $6,000 to fund his campaign that he didn't want to talk about. So he wrote it off as poker winnings because nobody could verify whether he actually won or actually lost or won a lot of money or a little money. But I, I credit your account. And by the way, even if the account isn't exactly as you relay it, um, it's a wonderful read. And I... If, as I said, if you believe it, then I believe it. I'm just saying that when people talk about their poker winnings in general, I always have to take that with a grain of salt. That is certainly true. But when you have uh, thousands of contemporary journalists during Nixon's time investigating these tales, uh, the likelihood that they would turn up uh, evidence that he had uh, that he had uh, that he had gotten that money through other means goes much higher. You know, the average guy doesn't have the press corps investigating every every sentence that comes out of his mouth. That's true. But they... I, I, I feel very funny sitting here defending <laughs> the honor of Richard Nixon, but in this case, uh, I, I feel like I'm... I, I do feel that there's considerable evidence that he did net eight grand. Okay. At the same time, uh, I don't call my book The History of Poker. <laughs> the title is Cowboys Fold, The Story of Poker, because in large part... Um, the point that you're making is true, that much of poker lore and poker, poker stories uh, are, are never 100% reliable. Right. And you do a great... Today, since the TV cameras have been on, or the electronic uh, surveillance of online games, there's, there can be very precise records to the dollar and even the cent of how much someone has won or lost. Right, right. Uh, but... Before that, uh, it, 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 a lot of it leaks off into the realm of lore. Yes, and in fact, one of my favorite parts of your book is where you first tell the wonderful tale of Nick the Greek and Johnny Moss having right. their tete-a-tete at uh, Binion's back in the late 40s or early 50s, and then you go about undermining the credibility of that story. I don't know if undermining is the right word, but disassembling the story. I call it into question, and in that, in doing so, I'm following the lead of Michael Craig, yes. who wrote the wonderful book, uh, the banker, the uh, the story of Andy Beal, Professor and... the Banker and the, and the Suicide King. Right. Uh, uh, Michael's blog has has done a lot to, uh, to to make us a little bit skeptical about the size of the stakes that uh, Moss and Dandelos were playing for back in those days. Well, I always wondered whether Johnny Moss might have been um, exaggerating because, as I, re- I mean, as I knew the story, Moss said, and as you report, he, he won millions in the end from Nick the Greek, and yet I knew that especially in the latter years of his life, and then I learned from your text immediately after, he he never was a wealthy man in... His bearing, I mean, he had to take a job in, a, in casinos, different casinos, right, as a poker room manager. What's he doing running a poker room uh, within weeks of winning <laughs> several million dollars uh, from Nick the Greek? Right. One way to answer that, uh, Doyle Brunson, uh, according to Doyle Brunson, that uh, Moss lost most or all of his score from Dandelos uh, playing craps at the horseshoe. And that certainly fits the pattern of a lot of high-stakes poker players. They... They win uh, seven-figure uh, sums playing poker, and then they give it back to the house in the pit games, especially blackjack and dice. Except Johnny Moss, and I remember this from Holden's account and Alvarez's too, 
was known for having a wife who, at least in large measure, shepherded away a lot of his winnings and invested them in houses and things so that there would be money for a rainy day. Right. Now, maybe, uh, right? Isn't that part of it? Wife. Go ahead. Isn't that part of it? Isn't that Johnny Moss was, had a wife that did those things? Uh, I absolutely couldn't tell you the answer to that. I, I do know that the wives tried, and, <laughs> and uh, in the case of Doyle Brunson's wife, um, she was very successful in, in siphoning off some of his profits from the table and investing it in real estate, because Doyle himself, uh, by his own admission, uh, was prone to make extremely bad investments with his money. Right. Is he still affiliated with Doyle's room? Is that room still up in the running, do you know? Uh, it is, and he is very much affiliated with it. As he, his, he, at least his picture appears in all the ads. I'm wearing a hat from Doyle's room, even though I've uh. never played there. Um, you mentioned something, Just you touched on something, and I wanted to have you talk to our uh, listeners about it a little more. You mentioned Andy Beal, uh, Michael uh-huh. Craig's book about the biggest game ever, the game that became a $100,000, $200,000 limit game between Andy Beal and a bunch of professionals. And I wanted to ask you a question and hope that you could talk about it some. Why did Andy put himself in such a disadvantageous position when he had the money to dictate the terms of this game? I mean, it was he was playing a tag team match. The others were tag teaming, and he was by himself... Right. And I never understood that. I mean, he's a smart business guy, and yet he, he's an amateur. I'd think he would set the terms so that he could play the way he wanted to play. Now, a number of factors led to that, to the structure of heads up with him playing the best player, uh, the best players from uh, put up by a consortium of investors. Uh, the first one was he was not comfortable sitting down in a ring game for very high stakes against people who played with each other every night and had known each other for, in some cases, decades. Mm -hmm. Not that he was accusing them individually of cheating, but that the possibility of being cheated or colluded against in a ring game was much At least a distraction. than if he had played them one against one. Right. He also wanted to play for stakes, 100,000, 200,000, limits in in limit hold'em uh which none of them could afforded could have afforded to play so that the only way they could play for his stakes were to pool their money and have one person represent them so that both sides had incentives for the mass for the match to be played heads up as opposed to a ring game that makes sense to me heads up makes perfect sense to me what doesn't make sense to me is why he insisted on or why he allowed them to tag-team him so that he would be exhausted, they would right. be playing on, A, their home turf, and they refused to come down to his turf, and he gave right. in eventually, and then right. they could keep replacing each other, staying fresh, while he played exhausted. I mean, he was getting right. the worst of all, all of it. I, I don't get that. Well, he did, he did uh, put enormous pressure on them to play some of the matches in Dallas. Where he lives with his wife and lives with his wife and family, and where his bank is, but they never, for various reasons, uh, they never agreed to that. Uh, they they liked playing on their home turf. Uh, High stakes poker is not legal in Texas, so that there were you know if 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 people are transferring forty or fifty million dollars down to that state, it, it was very complex. He offered to to play them just for chips, and then they could settle up on the side through his bank. In any event, the, the, the negotiations about who would play against him and where became, in a sense, a poker game yes. unto itself. Yes, I'd say that he lost that game, and actually, under the circumstances, he probably played as well as they did, um, if it were a level playing field. Uh, yeah. that, but what he lost was the initial round of negotiations. Yes, yes and no. He it, he made an effort. For example, he had very poor results against Howard Letterer, and he was able to negotiate um, 
that Howard would not represent the team. He did, you know, he was able to limit who would play against him. And when they were losing, they would try to, the, the corporation would try to renegotiate so that more players were able to become eligible. But at various points, um, uh, because of pe- people playing in World Series of poker tournaments or for whatever other reason, strange things occurred, such as Jennifer Harmon played him at a very crucial stage of the match in, while she was waiting for a second kidney transplant right. and had the flu and had 103 temperature. And uh, so you have the specter of this almost mortally ill young woman, 90 pounds, facing off against Andy Beal. And uh, it, was, it, it was an amazing physical, psychological, and financial poker face-off. Yes, and a, and a great story to tell. Um, I wonder if Andy Beal will resurface any time in the near future. Do you hear any rumors? Uh, I just had a nice uh, letter from Andy um, a couple of days ago, and he his his latest passion is, is racing cars. <laughs> but, he, but he does race cars with some of the members of the corporation and some other Vegas poker pros. Right now, his 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 uh, his principal source of thrills outside the bank is. Uh, Car racing. Okay, well, God, God love multimillionaires. They can take up and dabble in whatever it is they wish. Yes. Um, maybe he'll take up a mixed martial arts someday. Um, I, I have a couple other que- I mean, I have a million questions for you, and I hope you can stick around and talk. I, I, I'm wondering, I okay, if you had a time machine, this is something that I wondered. You've written about all these periods of American history and poker, and with all their different reasons are, are compelling and exciting. If you could visit physically one of those periods and sit in and play poker, where would you go? Where would you go first? Mm. I would love to have sat in the poker game in FDR's White House (laughs) at the height of World War II and hear the banter and see uh, the generals and the Supreme Court justices and his press secretary uh, his lover is living down the hall from him. His wife's lover is living in a suite uh, next to Eleanor's room. I think that the the, uh, the focus of the world, especially the Allied war effort, was uh, located in the White House in the uh, early and mid-1940s. And to, to have been at the game with FDR, and then he moves halfway across the room in order to deliver his fireside chats while holding the chips in his hand, clicking them together. I think that would have been an amazing place to be. Can you hear the clicks on any of the radio broadcasts, do you know? My grandparents claimed that the, that they were clearly audible if you knew what to listen for. Um, <laughs> he never said, I'm clicking poker chips, but that the, 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 you know, because of his limited mobility, the radio broadcast took place about 10 feet away from the poker table. And he didn't have a rosary and he didn't have worry beads. He had his chips clicking away in his hand uh, to relieve his anxiety. Wow. I, I had no idea. I mean, I uh, I know about the fireside chats, and uh, I did not know that they happened while he was playing poker. That's neat. You have a lot of interesting stories. You You also wrote about the great spy... Uh, who became the f- most famous poker writer of his generation, uh, Yardley. And uh, I'm wondering what your what your opinion is of him. As, I mean, he had a lot of controversy in his life. He was actually blackballed from tradecraft, right? He was an extremely successful cryptographer during World War One, And he stupidly chose to write about it. Um, in in <clears throat> revealing to the, uh, to our enemies uh, in the 20s and 30s, the Japanese, uh, information about how we had spied on them during various periods. And it was thought that uh, the publication of another such book could have triggered World War II. This was before the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Right. So that at the highest levels of government, including the Roosevelt White, White House, and uh, Justice Department, there was a lot of effort to keep Herbert O. Yardley silent on on American spycraft. 
at the same time, Yardley is a great figure in the poker world because he was the one, he, he was ext- enormously influential in introducing uh, the notion that, Ameri- that poker could be played squarely. His books, that w- his uh, poker book, which came out in 1955, uh, shows how the game was played um, in small-town America and then th- uh, during his years as a spy in various cities around the world as an honest game. Uh, for the century before that, or a century and a half before that, um, a lot of the money changed hands in high-stakes games because of uh, successful acts of cheating. It's Yardley who most uh, eloquently introduces the world uh, to square poker. What's interesting to me is, first of all, what you just wrote about Yardley, that he wrote the first book about poker that can be a square game, a game on the square, Um, but also how much cheating is, is a theme that runs throughout poker up until the current day. I mean, first of all, before Yardley's time, before World War I, and up through World War I, even through World War II, it almost seems that if you did not cheat, if you didn't at least know how to cheat, you would have a huge disadvantage in many, many games. Uh, Scarney made his reputation you know, teaching GIs how not to be cheated even when they played in, in World War II. I think you wrote that he was hired by the military to to show them how to thwart cheating. I mean, he had the famous Scarney cut, uh, which I don't think I've ever seen anybody use, a three-stack cut. I, I guess you're familiar where you, you, you break the deck into three parts and then you restack it, et cetera. And I'm wondering, just in retrospect, how big a factor has cheating been in poker over the years, would you say, including the current day? And how has it changed since, uh, since Yardley's book? Uh, almost from the uh, beginning, when poker uh, evolves in New Orleans and then moves north on Mississippi River boats, um, there were square, honest games, but they tended to be lower-stakes games. In the higher-stakes games, the ability to effectively use mirrors to deal, to, to be able to see the opponent's whole cards, to uh, introduce cold decks into the game, the most famous one being the, uh, the double cold, cold deck that Paul Newman gets into <laughs> his showdown in the with sting. Robert Shaw and the Sting. Uh, and, uh, you know, Robert Shaw's got a cold deck in which he's going to have four nines, and Newman's cronies... Uh, <laughs> you slip in uh, a second cold deck in which uh, Robert Shaw gets his four nines, but Paul Newman turns over four jacks and says, you owe me 15 grand. Pack. Pal, uh, right. Oh, I love that, that line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that seems to have been where the most artistry and skill uh, resided in the highest stakes games. You know, maybe 90% of the games were honest, but if you were playing in a large game, uh, the chances that you were being cheated uh, increased exponentially. And I think that it seems to have um, been the case uh, up until the 70s when poker starts being played in casinos with eyes in the sky, uh, dealers changing decks every half hour, and the host... Uh, having an enormous incentive to keep the game honest. Yes. And, of course, on, when you play online, the, the sites which rake billions of dollars per, per year uh, among, among all of them, uh, I don't know if, if individuals are raking, individual sites are raking that much, but there's a huge amount of financial incentive for them to keep their games honest. I think that today... The big games tend to be uh, cheaters are not able to uh, infiltrate too high a percentage of uh, contemporary poker games. Well, I I tend to agree with you, Jim. I have been asked a lot about cheating at poker, especially online poker, and I say, look, these sites are making billions of dollars. Why would they have any incentive to throw a crooked game or accelerate the action to get more players or whatever? And yet... And the same thing with a casino. A casino is making money from poker. They have an incentive in keeping the game honest to keep players coming in because if players start to think they're yeah. getting fleeced, they're not going to come. But when I, I read your section 
about the California card rooms, Gardena, back in the 60s and 70s, um, before Hold'em became legalized in California. And uh, I've spoken to Mike Caro on this show, and I've spoken to others who played in those games, and their contention is that the games were riddled with cheats, that it was infested with cheating, collusion. And then in your book, you wrote about the absolute poker and the ultimate bet poker cheating scandals that should have rocked people's confidence in these sites if it didn't, because, and I think you could tell us the story, there was a lot of, or at least a couple of major incidents of significant cheating that went on, including one involving a World Series of Poker main event champion. Yes. Uh, I want to attach, a prefix the word allegedly uh, behind anything I say about this case because nobody has uh, been indicted or prosecuted Fair or enough. found guilty in court. Yes, allegedly. But, uh, Russ Hamilton allegedly uh, had a code, access to a code, which allowed him to see the whole cards of his opponents in real time and and was a, thereby able to uh, cheat them out of 20 or 30 million dollars. And the good news is that it was discovered by cyber detectives who some of whom had been cheated themselves and they gradually and then at the end very precisely were able to deduce what he had done and how he had done it because one one of the sites I, I believe it was absolute uh, sent them mistakenly all the cards that had been played in a all the hands that had been played in a complete tournament, and Hamilton was playing extremely rashly. Except uh, the only way he would play the hands the way that he played them was if he had known what his opponents were holding. Allegedly, um, allegedly. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to insert that word every three or four. Um, <laughs> That's all right sentences. Uh, The good news is that uh, the sites were uh, forced to admit what had happened. They denied that it was not only that it had happened, but Absolute said it it could not have happened. Right, I remember. Eventually, it it turned out that it did happen, and they were allegedly, allegedly, and they not allegedly refunded large sums of money to to a considerable number of players. So that there was a, a huge effort on their part, uh, and the industry as a whole, on the part of the industry as a whole, to make to make amends for that and to institute ever tighter uh, controls uh, to make sure that something like that would never happen again. Jim, we're we're going to take a quick commercial break. But what I'd like to do is, if you can, can you hold on and come back for another ten or fifteen minutes? Uh, yes, I can. Okay, because I'd like to come back. I have a series of questions uh, for you with quick answers about the best, the highest, the biggest, whatever, that I think would be very interesting to hear response, and then a couple of other questions about the way the game has changed and whether that's good or bad for the long run. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with Jim McManus. About how long? Um, 30 seconds. I'll be right here. Okay. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. Great moments in history. In October 1978, John Paul is informed that he is the first non-Italian pope elected in nearly 500 years. I did it! Yes! Everyone can eat shit. A big bag of shit. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world! Woo! In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. 
But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love. Hey listeners, this is Dave from House of Cards, and we'd like to congratulate Beth Gaines from Los Angeles, California, as the winner of our Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure Giveaway. Beth has won, courtesy of Poker Stars and House of Cards, three nights at the Atlantis Resort and Casino in the Bahamas, $1,000 in cash, a $250 gift certificate for the spa at the Atlantis Resort, and free entry into both the ladies' event at the 2010 Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure and the Poker Stars Boot Camp being held at the Atlantis. Congratulations, Beth, from all of us at House of Cards. Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning 7-Card Stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-Card Stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing, you'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-Card Stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Now, I do some other stuff, but poker, that's the thing I do best. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I'm here with the great poker writer, Jim McManus, who has just authored an extraordinary poker book. Uh, really, it's a, it's a historical account of poker and much more than that. It's called Cowboys Full. And uh, I have a, a series of questions to ask you, Jim, if you don't mind indulging me. What's, in your opinion, who is the greatest no-limit poker player who has ever graced the felt? Uh, the consensus seems to be, especially when we're talking about uh, tournament hold'em, that's Stewie Unger. Uh, he played with a reckless abandon combined with uh, an absolute idiot savant's sense of cards, uh, complete fearlessness, and he dominated the tournament poker world uh, during the 10 or 15 years in which he was sober enough or uh, able to function at the table. Of course, he made $25, $26 million in his life playing poker, died broke because of uh, a tragic addiction to cocaine. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an extraordinary story that you tell. Did you ever get to meet him? I was in the room at the Bellagio while he was playing, but I did not personally meet him. I see. I wish I had had the opportunity. I heard Me he was too. also an unbelievable, the greatest ever gin player. Uh, that's that. That makes the story even more jaw dropping. He was so good at gin that he only turned to hold him when he couldn't find enough people to uh, play him for high stakes because he was uh, he, he you know he had absolute total perfect recall of all the cards that had been played and he was almost impossible to beat at gin. Mm. Of the players today, and you've played with many of them, you've seen them on TV, you've probably met them. Who would you say would be the uh the best of the tournament pros today? The best of the tournament pros? I mean, Chris Ferguson is, uh, you know, you can measure that fairly clearly by bracelets. And, um, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to Phil Helmuth, even though he takes the credit himself rather aggressively, <laughs> loudly and obnoxiously. But there's no question that he knows how to play no limit hold'em tournaments. Uh, I think that the, this this guy Tom Dwan from uh, the East Coast, New Jersey, uh, he hasn't compiled uh, an extensive record uh, in poker tournaments, but there's no question that he is one of the very best no limit hold'em players around. We see him win millions of dollars uh, online, and then when he 
uh, faced off with the with the with the with Doyle Brunson and Negreanu and Howard Letter and Barry Greenstein on uh, high stakes poker. He played. Most people agree that he was the best player at the table in those games. If it wasn't Patrick Antonius, so this Dwan, uh, who's known as Doer, Doer online, is, right, is uh, absolutely a force to be reckoned with. Doesn't he have some challenge going on now? He's got a challenge in which he will put up uh, five hundred, one point five million against anybody's five hundred thousand. Uh, in order, to, and then they play a large number of hands. He's currently playing against Patrick Antonius, who is a great player himself, and Dura's up about $780,000 wow. in that match. So he will play anyone for any stakes. And uh, the poker world's never seen any, anything like him. You know, back when Stewie was around, there was no record of his action online. All we could see what he did, what he did in major tournaments. But Dura. Uh, the way he plays hands has been is being closely followed by people all the time on TV and online, and he is there's no question that he is a great NLH and PLO player. How do you think? And you you're the one person that I whose opinion I would really respect on this, Jim. How would you compare the hot internet and professional poker players today with the almost hyper aggressive style? With the poker greats of yesteryear, in your opinion, are the young guns today really that much better? Are they just different or sitting down with the great old players of the 50s and 60s, the guys that populated the World Series of Poker Games back then, would the guys today just wipe up the floor with them? Well, we, you know, we, we don't have to answer that question in the abstract. We saw, we saw Dewar take on the grizzled veterans uh, on high-stakes poker, and he... He he did himself proud. Um, the you know the, the dominant style in the 40s and 50s, as uh, expressed by Herbert or Yardley, was to play extremely conservatively. You know the next great theoretician of the game, and you know still one of the best around, is David Sklansky. And his uh, Sklansky's earliest books and the theory of poker was based to a, a fairly large extent on limit games. Right. Today, with, with PLO and um, No Limit Hold'em dominating, the pot odds can be um, so distorted so dramatically with, with the size of the bets that, that you can make in No Limit that I think that the, this hyper-aggressive style that is played by uh, especially the young Europeans and, and 20-year-old guys in general who have lots and lots of testosterone coursing through their bodies it's it's pretty tough to play against you know every year the every year the world series of poker winner gets younger and younger it doesn't seem it's like they're they're knocking days hours and minutes off the previous youngest record i know jo- joe kata uh, just won 21 years old yes so there there's absolutely no question that these people are dominating through a combination these young guys are dominating through a combination of aggressive style. They learn you can play the millions of hands that you need in order to get good online, as opposed to you know you're, you can get the experience so much faster. Combine that with what you can learn in books, and then you know you see how many what, what such a high percentage of them are enrolling or, or, or entering these tournaments that they are. They have, to a great extent, taken over the world of no-limit poker tournaments. Are you still entering them? I do. Uh, I play fewer and fewer of them uh, in casinos because there's so much action online, but I always go out to the World Series and and play uh, three or four World Poker Tour events per year. I used to play almost every week, but um, I got young kids, and uh, <laughs> I can play online, and much easier to stay home and play. Do you see yourself as a semi-pro? Do you still make money at it, or is it something where you're just really an amateur and you had one incredible experience? You did really well again, though, I heard. Didn't you have some other very good I tournament had four, finish? I've had four final tables at the World Series. I can't find a hand that holds up when, once I get to the final table, but I've had pretty good luck at the World Series. Uh, I am very much uh, uh, a non-professional. I play... 
I play a lot of high-stakes tournaments, but I don't play high-stakes cash games. And I, I support my family mainly by uh, writing about poker and teaching. I teach in a uh, writing program, and I also teach a course in the history of poker. So that, that's my, by far my steadiest source of income. And every once in a while, I'll have a good year or a good month. And, uh, you know, that works out. Uh, but it's not something that we count on. I understand. I would I would put myself in a similar category, um, able to make money playing poker, but I wouldn't want to rely on it 100% for my income because it is so mercurial. It can go up and yeah. down, and you never really know. It's nice to have a steady gig, or in your case, a few gigs, uh, as an author and as a professor. Um, you had another reason that these young 20-year-old guys are <laughs> uh, dominating the poker world, because they tend not to have mortgages and families and even in or or even a wife they they are much freer to travel the world they're inclined to gamble and i think that's a big reason why uh they're so heavily represented at uh, the final table of big events yeah they can play it like a game instead of like a source of income well it's both for the best for the best and the luckiest among them it's both right that's true. Do you think this is good or bad for the future of poker, that the idea of hyper-aggressiveness being uh, able to trump tight play? Do you think this will head poker in a good direction or that it will end up bursting and falling down from all of the super-aggressiveness? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Uh, my, the, the optimistic part of me uh, would note that there's so many different kinds of poker you can play. You know, the most prestigious event, uh, at least among the professionals at the World Series, continues to be the horse event, the $50,000 buy-in. Uh, everyone starts with 100 or 150000 in chips, and you really, uh, the skill level required to win that tournament seems to be higher than the, the World Series of Poker main event. So there's, you know, every, there's so many options. Another reason to be optimistic is that all the choices people have. If you like to play uh, Omaha High Low, you can play at pot limit, you can play at limit, you can play at one cent, two cent, or one hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, or a thousand, two thousand, and you, you don't have to make that much of an effort. There's hardly any effort at all in order to be play to find the game that suits you the best, and you can play it all day on two, three, or four tables, or even one. And uh, that seems to me nothing but a good thing. Right. I agree. Do you still play in a home game of any kind? Uh, I have a Thursday game that I've been in for 11 or 12 years. It's, um, it's, it's a nice little 5-5 game in which we play Pot Limit Omaha and No Limit Hold'em. Oh, wow. Thursday night. From well, seven till about two. If I were to be in Chicago some Thursday, would I get an invitation to this game, or do you full most uh, of the time? I, it's not my game, <laughs> but okay. I could. If you were in town and we had a week's notice, I think that I uh, there would be a good chance I could uh, get the host to find you a seat. All right. Well, that that's incentive enough to come to Chicago one of these days. I have a it's friend. It's a nice little game. It's it's a fun game and. You know, it's reasonably high stakes. There's some wealthy guys in it and some younger uh, guys trying to make their living playing poker, and it's it's a nice game. Well, that's a 5-5 a five, five blind game, and what's the buy-in? Uh, the, the original buy-in is 600 and you're supposed to show up with no less than 1800 or 2000 Oh, that's like a game here uh, in the Boston area that I play. Yeah. That would be great. Uh, Jim, we're just about out of time, but I must say I would love to talk to you more and more about and when you come out with your third, fourth, fifth poker book in the future. We'd love to have you back on. And uh, again, the book is Cowboys Full. The author is the multi-talented Jim McManus, James McManus, who's written, this is now his 10th book, second poker book, positively, Fifth Street was his first, and it was a New York Times bestseller. Let's hope this does just as well, if not better. And uh, I look forward to seeing you, if not at the felt, then at some press conference sometime. I hope to see you next fall, Ashley. Okay. Jim, best of luck to you. That was Jim McManus. We're going to be back with more House of Cards after a break.
Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning 7-card stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-card stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing, You'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-Card Stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. Hey there, folks. Aaron Sherman here, CEO of Phantom EFX. We make the number one slot and casino games for your PC. Number one. Now, how great would it be to hit the tables or slots this weekend in Las Vegas? Can't afford it? Or even if you can, you got to try our games. Now, I know you may be thinking, ooh, a slot game or ooh, a casino game. How real can it be? But you have no idea how real the experience is until you play these games. Whether you want slots, cards, or casino games, we've got it all. And trust me, it's as real as it gets. That's why we're number one, baby. You just have to check out our new games led by Real Deal Slots Blackbeard's Revenge. I'm telling you guys, this game is the ultimate slot experience. It's already number one in its category and it's been made by guys that love slot machines. We also have our brand new casino and card game titles. You can check them out in stores or at PhantomEFX.com. You never have to wager anything on a Phantom EFX game. you got to check out all these great games and all of our other great products at PhantomEFX.com. Ooh, another jackpot! I got another jackpot! Woohoo! Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. Hey listeners, this is Dave from House of Cards, and we'd like to congratulate Beth Gaines from Los Angeles, California, as the winner of our Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure Giveaway. Beth has won, courtesy of Poker Stars and House of Cards, three nights at the Atlantis Resort and Casino in the Bahamas, $1,000 in cash, a $250 gift certificate for the spa at the Atlantis Resort, and free entry into both the ladies' event at the 2010 Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure and the Poker Stars Boot Camp being held at the Atlantis. Congratulations, Beth, from all of us at House of Cards. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Card player, gambler, scoundrel, you'd like it. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And I just wanted to say thank you to Jim McManus, the author of the great poker book, Cowboys Full. Uh, We're really happy that we had you on. And uh, listeners, if you have any questions that you'd like about the book or anything about uh, poker, please feel free to email us at info at houseofcardsradio.com. That will be the show. Uh, Thanks for listening. Come back next week. Good luck to you all, and good night. Hey listeners, this is Dave from House of Cards, and we'd like to congratulate Beth Gaines from Los Angeles, California, as the winner of our Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure Giveaway. Beth has won, courtesy of Poker Stars and House of Cards, three nights at the Atlantis Resort and Casino in the Bahamas, $1,000 in cash, a $250 gift certificate for the spa at the Atlantis Resort, and free entry into both the ladies' event at the 2010 Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure and the Poker Stars Boot Camp being held at the Atlantis. Congratulations, Beth, from all of us at House of Cards. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. If you're like me, 
you're an announcer. That means you get paid way too much money for just a few seconds of coming up next. It's Blossom, followed by an all-new Caroline in the City. You stay out all night partying, wake up late with a vodka hangover, stumble out of bed, throw on some overpriced clothes, get in your little sports car and flip people off while you're driving. You get to where you're going 30 minutes to an hour late. Then you grab the script, do one take, and tell the twerpy little producer that if he wants better, he can hire James Earl Jones. Because you've been doing this since before he was even born. Then you speed out of the studio, schmooze a few ladies with, Hello ladies, you look lovely today. Why, yes, I am an announcer. And it's all because a couple of friends once said to you, Hey, you've got a great voice. You should be on the radio or announcing TV commercials or something. So, you think you're God and you know you've got his voice. So, what the hell? Brought to you by the National Broadcasters Association. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.